We're going to go ahead and begin here, but uh, today is the commemoration of the prophet Isaiah. So I'll read you a little something from the Treasury of Daily Prayer. Uh, Isaiah, the son of uh, the son of uh, the son of of man, Isaiah, the son of the son of Amos is considered to be the greatest of the writing prophets and is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament prophet. His name means Yahweh saves. Isaiah prophesied to the people of Jerusalem and Judah from about 740 B.C. to 700 B.C. and was a contemporary of the prophets uh, of the prophets um, Amos, Hosea, and um, Micah. Isaiah was a fierce preacher of God's law, condemning the sin of idolatry. He was also a comforting proclaimer of the gospel, repeatedly emphasizing God's grace and forgiveness. For this, he is sometimes called the evangelist of the Old Testament. No prophet more clearly prophesied about the coming Messiah and his saving kingdom. Isaiah foretold not only the Messiah's miraculous birth, his endless reign, and his public... And his public ministry, but most notably his suffering servant role and atoning death. The Apostle John's description, the Apostle John's description of Isaiah, that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him, is an apt summary of his prophetic ministry. So let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through the prophet Isaiah, you continued the prophetic pattern of teaching your people the true faith and, and, and demonstrating through, through, through miracles your presence in creation to heal it of its brokenness. Grant that your church may see in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the final end times prophet whose teaching and and miracles continue in your church through the healing medicine of the gospel and the sacraments. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are talking about the law in <coughs> Romans. Uh, the overview of this is that Paul uses def- Paul uses the term law in different senses, the variety of ways in, in the whole book, right? But um, it's chiefly used to describe the old covenant which Christ has fulfilled for us, right? We're going to look at a little bit more what that means. Um, so let's just dive right in. So, so the law in Romans. Um, who would like to read for us? I've read a lot today. How about y'all read? I'll start. Go ahead. Paul's teaching about the law not only divided people in the first century and later during the Protestant Reformation, It remains a hotly debated subject in modern scholarship. Many modern scholars follow the work of E.P. Sanders in Paul and Palestinian Judaism, Fortress 1977, Mm -hmm. hold that the Apostle Paul did not understand Judaism, even though he was trained as a rabbi. They argue that first century Judaism was not the works righteous religion that Paul describes. They emphasize Judaism's teaching about the role of grace and faith in the covenant. Because of their corrective emphasis on grace and faith, 
as central to entrance into the covenant. These scholars downplay evidence of the significant role that works of the law played for many Jews. Paul was not only concerned about a few Jewish laws that were preventing Gentiles from being included in the people of God, but he was also concerned about Jews and some Jewish Christians who viewed their obedience to the law, or at least their intent to obey, as a vital part of their righteous status before God. After the crucified Christ confronted Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul realized the huge problem people encounter when they view their works as playing any role in salvation. Possessing hearing and intending to obey the law are not enough. Paul saw that, that the need for perfect obedience was not being acknowledged in Judaism. Okay, so reflect briefly on the importance of human law. And I'll point this out. You see law, he writes it differently in the, in the text here. That's a lowercase l, right? So human law versus divine law, which he usually puts a capital L next to. So there's a distinction to be made there for sure. So reflect briefly on the importance of human law for your personal and national well-being. Let's just ask that first question. What service does the law provide? Protection. Protection. Yeah, protection from, from what? From people who are not following the law. Yeah, people who <laughs> seek to break the law, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, keeps uh, good order. Yeah, keeps you from, or it, the service is it, it deters someone from stealing from you, someone from killing you, uh, someone from you know doing something that would deprive you of, uh, as we would say, life, liberty, or property. Right. Um, so yeah, so it does those things. It provides a service. Um, any other any other things you might say about the law? I, mean, I don't know the third use of the law. It could for us. Mm -hmm. It could be for the third use of the law as okay. a guide, mm -hmm. for our, mm -hmm. not not uh, a rule or a mirror, but a guide to lead us. Yeah, I was, I was, I was probably going to wait until later to put this on here, but I might as well. Uh, there are three functions of the law for those who don't know. It never hurts to review these things. So one is typically called a curb, right? So it's like, it's for everybody. Uh, that's like to say you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't steal. It's just to say you're gonna get punished, so don't do this, right? It's for believers and unbelievers alike. Uh, two is mirror. As And depending on who you talk to, they'll, these will change order, but the mirror, uh, shows us our sin so the law will say the divine law of God and the Ten Commandments would say you have not perfectly kept God's law right in some form or fashion any way you slice it you're not gonna fulfill it perfectly so that's a mirror shows us our true self right and then three you can see it as a guide and I've gotten some pushback for this, but I will hold, I'll stick to my guns. The guide is only for Christians. It's only for Christians. If you're not regenerate by, the, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the law is not really a good guide for you because you only see it in the sense that that's what you need to do to be saved. Right? As opposed to saying now it is a guide 
in grace. It can never be separated from God's grace. So I'll just I'll throw that out there, chew on it for a little bit. Those are the three uses. So you're saying a, a, a good service of the law is to guide us. I think that's, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's to guide us into the way that we should go. The, the good things for us to do for our neighbor, uh, to keep from doing the bad things against our neighbor, right? As Christians, like that's just not what Christians do or that is what Christians do. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other thoughts there? Well, actually, that's kind of what I wrote down. I wrote down a guide map for what exactly is wrong. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it points out what's going wrong and how it needs to be fixed or something like that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, the law. Okay. It's, it's a, kind of like your fence thing. Yeah, your fence you, things, yeah. You can't uh, go on the other side of the fence and you're breaking. Oh, you mean, um, as they say, the Chestertonian fence. Uh is that what you mean? Where it's like, if you buy a piece of property, there's a fence on it. Instead of just going, let's tear this fence down. Maybe you should figure out what's on the other side of it kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that, that was um, established by uh, G.K. Chesterton. He was a Roman Catholic, but we'll forgive him. Um, he, had, he had a lot of good things to say in that regard. But he said it was, he used a metaphor in that way that when you, like, in receiving certain traditions, whether by faith or by culture or nation or something like that, when you inherit, it's like, it's like getting a piece of property that has a beautiful house, a garden, all these beautiful things on the grounds, and then, but you get to the edge of the property and there's a fence there, or there's a wall, and you can't see what's past the wall, and he said, there are two different types of people. There's one type of person who will just say, what's this wall doing here? Just tear it down, it's blocking my view, and this is my property now. I can do whatever I want with it. So that's the first thing I'm going to do is tear down that wall. And the other person is going to say, well, I inherited this great piece of property. They obviously took good care of the house and the garden and the hedges and all these things. They obviously built this wall for a reason. How about let's find out why they built that wall before we go tearing it down, right? So it just depends on who you are. And you can see that as kind of the law in some sense, um, uh, it keeps you well within the bounds of where you're supposed to be. And when you tear it down, you're going to be asking for some trouble possibly, right? Uh, especially with the divine law, right? You, you start saying, well, I don't have to follow that commandment or that commandment or that commandment. And you wind up seeing that everything beyond that wall of protection in the law is actually going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you real bad. Temptation too. Right, right. And whatever's out there can come inside now. Right. That's exactly right. So that's that's one thing to definitely take into consideration. Any other services that the law provides? It punishes people that do break the law. Right. There's, there are consequences. To. Yeah. And that was a theme in this morning's <laughs> class, too. That, that was just like, well, yeah, it's supposed to do Initially, that. Initially, it's supposed to do that. Yeah. And it says... People are not guilty when they're not guilty. So yes, there's both sides of it. Yes. There's vindication and there's punishment, yeah. right? Ideally, it's supposed to be just on either side. Innocent until proven guilty. Right, and thankfully we have a system like that for as long as we can keep it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, I'll just throw that little jab in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's a good thing. Yeah, so there's punishment for wrongdoing. Right. <laughs> right. 
So there's punishment for wrongdoing, and then there's vindication for doing the right things, right? Or um, commendation, I guess you could say. Yeah. That sounds like civil law or not. That's what we're talking right now is is primarily civil law. Yeah. Because uh, such a difference between common law, civil law. True. Spiritual. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, okay. that's, that's, that's Make kind sure of, I'm on the same track. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Because, and that's probably going to happen throughout this discussion. We might clarify what kind of law we're talking about, because when you see here, the service of the law in that second line there on 52, uh, on question 52, it's a lowercase L. So I would, I'm assuming, and I think I'm right to assume that that is more of a human, a man-made law system. Right? So we have laws in the books not to do things or to do certain things, right? Um, well, yeah, civil law is a little bit like the schoolhouse where it doesn't have a fence around it. And the study's been made on this. It doesn't have a fence around it. Kids will go outside, but they won't stray very far away from the school because uh, they're a little bit afraid. If there's a fence around it, they have freedom. So it's freedom. So we're free to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness yeah. if there's boundaries. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if there's no boundaries, then that brings no in freedom almost. Right. It's so true. In the civil side. Yeah. And I think in a general sense, too, that there's, there's, um, there's freedom in having principles, right? Sure. Uh, there's freedom, in, and, and it's like if anybody listens to podcasts or whatever there's there's this navy seal out there named jocko willink and he's written books on leadership right because he he was a navy seal commander his key phrase is discipline 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 equals freedom right and discipline is a kind of law right you keep yourself within a certain boundary and that means that you you are free to move within that space, but real fr- when you say, "Well, I'm free not to get up in the morning and do uh, and go for a walk," or "I'm free not to eat the right things," and you go, "Well, you're still just a slave to your thirst or your hunger. You're a slave to all these other things, and you're bound to the wrong things as opposed to the right things." It's in a lot of ways we need to kind of re-accept that mindset that within certain boundaries there is more freedom because within those boundaries we have all the good things and outside of those boundaries are not so good things bad things at times right uh actually yeah we can get more into that later but that's kind of also what laws try to do it's like you said jim when you have that fence the kids can go up to that fence and they know this is the boundary, and I can, I, like, we can play even more games in here, and it could be more fun. We can spread out even more and have all this stuff, as opposed to no fence, and you go, well, I don't know how far I should go. Or some kids might say, I can go as far as I want to, and they get into trouble, right? Yeah. So it, It's better yeah. if you have discipline. Yeah. Yeah. It's better if you have the principles and the discipline and the law. Uh, and we're going to see that, that the law, the divine law, Especially, the divine law is good. It is perfect, it is holy, it is just. We'll get more into that. But as far as human law, how might appreciation for the benefits of the law, because there are benefits, right? 
punishment and, con and commendation, uh, justice, right? How might appreciation for the benefits of the law confuse people about the use of the law, though? Would you like some that? people want to take advantage. We're going to make a law here and here and here. We're going to tell everybody what to do. Yeah. We're going to make everybody okay. follow this little narrow. <laughs> okay. So. We've got to do it our way. Yeah. The confusion okay. I see is people think that more laws equal less crime. Right. Okay. Totally not true. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree. Uh, not that not that we should then go the opposite direction and say we shouldn't have any laws. But laws are not self-enforcing. Right. So just yeah. because you have a lot of them, that doesn't actually do anything. But they're confusing the benefits of a small central government. <laughs> now we're getting into civics class now. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, no, it's fair. It's fair because law. Yeah, laws are supposed to establish the order that is good for society. They are to reduce the amount of chaos that might happen. Keep the peace. To keep the peace. Right. If yeah. If, yeah. If they meet that intent, right? Mm -hmm. If they, yeah, yeah. If they meet the intent of saying we're doing this for the good of the entire society, but then what do you? But then you get some people who will say, oh, well, uh, if laws are going to do that, then maybe we can make a law about, yeah, exactly, yeah. We're going to make more laws because that's a confusion that the law is actually going to make you do the right things. And not laws do not. Laws do not, okay, let me see you. You cannot pass laws to keep people moral. So you can't, so basically you're you saying you can't legislate morality. That's what, I was, that's what I was trying to say. You can't legislate morality. So did any of you go to the, to the parade on 4th of July? I did not go. So in the parade, there was this large float with the, all these people Carrying these flags. Have you seen the flags come and take it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, they have a new flag. Battle flag of Gonzales, right? Yeah. They have a new flag. Come and take it with an AR-15 on it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've seen that. People were walking. There was a bunch of people. They had a float. They had a banner, all this stuff. Almost everybody that was walking in that little group was armed. Uh-huh. Okay. They're walking down. People are hollering. Yay! I work at the visitor center. I get a call yesterday. Lady wants to complain. Oh, I bet. <laughs> did you did did you, you know that there were people at the parade carrying weapons? Well, I'm sure there were a lot. And there were people. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, there were people carrying weapons in the parade, and I saw people walking around at the parade carrying weapons. There were children around. That is so dangerous. Yeah, Who do we complain to? They don't need to be doing that. Right. And I felt like saying, Lady, How it's a state law. We can carry <laughs> these children. Yeah, we have constitutional carry now. Yeah? Yeah. I yeah. felt like yeah. saying, yeah. Getting mass shootings happening. She's <laughs> <laughs> I heard that the right. had them on it. They're pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we, can, we can just leave that right there because, and not that I don't enjoy this discussion. No, but it's like, but I'm it's, it's very interesting. She's wanting to narrow. Oh, no, right, so there. Right, so so there are some people, and that's a confusion, right? It's a confusion that says that laws are definitely, absolutely, going to make people do the right thing. Yeah. 
And that's the problem, though, because a lot of people don't understand what we would understand as Christians about the different estates. You know, the different estates, there's, there's uh, and depending on, not that it's in any specific order of importance, but there's, you know, the family estate, the estate of the family, the estate of the church, and the state, right? And so they all serve different functions, and the role of the third estate, which is typically known as the state, the civil estate, right? Uh, it is to wield the power of the sword. So when you make laws, you make laws, prohibitory laws, at the point of the sword. You need to be able to enforce them. And that's what the state does. It has the power of the sword to enforce the law. But if you start making a bunch of laws about different things, and now they're bringing out laws, the federal government or certain people involved in world government or whatever, wanting to make climate laws and things like that. I mentioned this morning, there's, there's a big revolt in the Netherlands. Yeah. The farmers are revolting against the Dutch government because they're making laws that would prohibit them from having a certain number of livestock because of the methane emissions that would come from them. And so they are circling the airports, they're shutting off the highways, they're dumping all their milk and their produce, they're destroying everything that's going to go to the stores and trying to show that you're not going to survive without the farmers. Sad thing is they're probably not going to last very long, well, because they don't really have a Second Amendment um, or anything like that to protect themselves from tyranny and stuff like that. They can still try, they can still work at it, but those are laws that are caused out of a confusion, I would say, that says we're going to make these laws to make you do the right thing. But that's the problem also. They're going to try and enforce that, whether it's right or wrong, you know, depending. So that's a confusion. And we're going to see how that's even a confusion in the divine laws. Well, well. those laws take your freedom away. Those yes. laws don't secure your freedom. Yeah. Right. Those laws take your freedom away. Right. The government's there to secure your freedom. Yes. Not to limit your freedom. Yeah, and, and I think that we also, I'm, I'm listening to, I'm listening slash reading off and on uh, a, a history of Texas uh, called Lone Star um, by Fahrenbach. And I just got to the part where, you know, it's the Alamo and San Jacinto and all these things. And, and it, was, it was really a bunch of Americans that came into Texas with the understanding that they had God-given rights of life, liberty, and property, especially if they bought their property, they could do what they want with it on a certain level. But then, but then Mexico, with all of its revolts and Santa Ana gaining control and everything like that, now the Mexicans have a certain, or they had, they probably still do, have a certain law on the books that we can imprison you for whatever we want and we don't have to give you a reason why. They don't have due process necessarily, right? And so the Americans, the, Amer the Anglo-Texans as the, the author says, comes in and they say, these are our God-given rights, you can't take, and that's, what it, that's kind of what started it all. Especially when they imprisoned uh, Stephen F. Austin um, for, they thought that he was a traitor and everything. So it's all very interesting, the yeah, idea. from Virginia, Kentucky. That's yeah. right, <laughs> Tennessee, Tennessee, and yeah. Tennessee, Actually, Tennessee. speaking of, and, 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 and Jim, as far as Ohio, uh, one of the reasons why they won the Battle of San Jacinto was because they had uh, two cannons that they called the Twin Sisters, that was a gift oh, yeah. from Cincinnati. It's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so thank you, Ohio. Um, but anyway, so, so it's really interesting because you have ideas of laws, and as, as Americans, very 
liberally minded in the classical sense that we believe that you have certain rights and you have certain freedoms. There's another side of it that says that laws need to be restrictive because, well, for whatever reason there might be, right? Um, there, and, and laws change according to uh, countries and uh, people groups and all sorts of stuff. So people can see it in a confusing way, and I think that's a very big confusing way to see that, well, we can make people do what we want if we make a law about it. Uh, and that's a confusion because the law rarely, rarely uh, makes it to where you know people want to do the right thing. Well, that gives you great appreciation for the drafters of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. If you go back and look at it, it was third on the liberal rights. Uh huh. Yeah. Given to you by the Creator. Yeah. And. Government is instituted yeah. by men as yeah. a service, but not as a... Yeah. yeah. Right. But we only have 10 commandments. God doesn't keep giving us more and more commandments. <laughs> yeah. We have 10. They're good enough. Yeah, you don't need to add more to it. These are the only ones that we, yeah. we just follow. These 10. <laughs> you know, and even then, you can't even follow all those. Yeah. I mean, come on. You want to add more? But I'm saying, he doesn't give us more. We only have one. Right. Yeah, do not eat of that tree. Yeah. Um, okay, so... So basically, human law is a good, it's, it's meant to be a good thing. The state is there for a reason. It's for a good cause. But sometimes it runs amok because it's full of sinners, right? Oftentimes it can and does. Uh, but so human law helps to maintain the order and peace between, its, uh, between uh, a land's citizens. And without law, things would just be chaotic. But then with more law... You get oppression and tyranny and all those things, right? Um, so let's, let's, let's keep pushing forward, though. When studying Romans, we're going to get into different uses of the way that Paul uses the word law. When studying Romans, we must carefully distinguish the different ways Paul uses the word nomos or law. The meaning of law in Paul's letters depends on the context. The various possible meanings include the following. A rule or authority in the broad and general sense, like similar to the way we speak of the law of gravity. Okay? Uh, another uh, possible meaning is the Torah. That's the Pentateuch. Um, the, such as the Pentateuch, the, which are the first five books of the Bible, right? Or all of the Old Testament. And then another possible meaning of the law is the Mosaic law given at Sinai, especially the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments. So let's look at the following passages uh, and think about and talk, talk about what use of the word law Paul has in view. So Romans 3, verses 10 through 20. Who wants to read those for us? As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous 
in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Okay, so what sense, what use of the word law does Paul have in mind here? And you look at all the footnotes, I'd have to say the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. Well, he starts as, as it is written. Oh, That's right. The Torah. Yeah. I said Mosaic law. Okay. So I said the first one in general covers everybody. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, we, got, we got all right. three of them. And, yeah. I'm glad we have a quorum on that. Yes. <laughs> so you're saying it's the Bible. All right. I got you. I got you. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. So. He just says general uh huh. Okay. Covers everything. I think I, I don't know if it's necessarily a rule or authority in the broad and general sense, like you know, it's a principle or uh, something like that. It's very specifically, I'd say either the Torah or the Mosaic Law, right? Somewhere in the Old Testament, the commandment as it was written, because he's using, he's pulling from which books in the Old Testament for sure. Well, I said the Torah because of verse 2020. 20. Uh, okay. Because it talks about works. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Yeah, so as a whole, from verses 10 through 20, you would say the Torah. Um, but I'd say, I don't know. Yeah, so I'd say as far as, yeah, the Torah, meaning like the entirety of the Old Testament, you mean, Jim? Well, yeah. That's kind of the that's kind of the way that he uses it before the question there. By trying to earn your way by yeah. obeying the law, and which was kind of what path they were on. So when we say the, the word, when we use the word Torah, we need to be very careful about what that actually means, because you also see that in Psalm one, right? Blessed, you know, blessed is the man that meditates on the law day and night, right? Um, what is what does that mean? Is it just that he he just kind of says the Ten Commandments over and over and over again? Mm -hmm. But when it comes, that's that's not the case. What do y'all think it is as far as the law in that sense? Because it is. It's, it's kind of like everything that. Yeah. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's everything they expanded on. Yeah. It's so the Torah is the instruction. It can also mean instruction, which means the entirety of. God's word, right? Um, the 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 entirety of um, yeah, instructing us in the way that we should go, instructing us in God's uh, mercy in spite of our disobedience, that sort of thing, right? Which is which is all throughout the Pentateuch and all of the Old Testament, right? There are laws given, there are laws broken, and there is God's patience and grace extended in spite of that. But then there's also judgment when his patience is over, right? Yeah, and his wrath comes forth. So there is that side of it as well, and that includes all the entirety of the Torah. Uh, I think that's a safe thing to say, that it is probably the, the entirety of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, all those things, the Torah, because he's pulling from, he's pulling from where? Uh <laughs> Yeah, he's pulling from the Psalms, from Jeremiah, uh, from Proverbs, right? Isaiah. Yeah. Uh, Genesis. Oh, he's, he's pulling from a bunch of different places that aren't necessarily just like Exodus, right? 
or just from the Pentateuch and Numbers, Deuteronomy, or what have you. Um, a side note on that. Sure. It's Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were two different classes of people. Uh-huh. And one recognized something about the old law and one of them. One believed in resurrection and the other one did not. They didn't believe in resurrection. Yeah, the Pharisees the the Pharisees were a result of the diaspora, the, the going into exile in Babylon, um, because they they were teachers and rabbis that showed up in the synagogues where they would gather and read the Torah and they would expound upon it. And being in like the Babylonian exile you then got rabbinical teachings that you get in like uh, the Talmud and things like that, and they they started to see, or they would look they would look at places like Job, and they would see that Job talks about a resurrection, so they start expounding upon it in their own little groups there. Whereas the Sadducees were the ones who were like the elites around the temple in Jerusalem, and they were much more, I guess you could say, conservative and didn't read so far into those kind of texts. Were they in close fellowship? I mean, apart from that, observing I mean, they all, they all, they all would sacrifice at the temple. They all considered themselves Jews, but they were, they were two different parties in the same system, I guess you could say. Okay. You know what I mean? They both had different goals. Republicans and Democrats. Sure, why not? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Or, or, uh, I don't even know if you could find a really modern Illustration. Analogous way of saying it. So yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, they're they're all they're all Jews, but they have disagreements. Okay. Yeah, I don't know about that because <laughs> they're still in fellowship. You know, they're still in fellowship together, but they disagree on these things of, of the resurrection and stuff like that, okay. the Messiah, whatnot. Sorry, so yeah, this I was like, I think Good question. Closer than Republicans. They were much more closer because they would they would go to the temple together, um, and they they wound up being united against Christians. So there's that. Um, if they didn't convert, right? Uh, but anyway, so that's a that's a very interesting question. Um, uh, how do we get there? What was the point of that, Sean? Man, I was, I was just observing the law. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure if they both oh, of them were just observing. On the same page about observing the law. I got you. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> as, as far as ob- observing the Torah, the instruction uh, from, from the Pentateuch and whatnot. Okay. I, I got you. Yeah. So they did have disagreements. Um, yeah. So, but it's funny because although the Pharisees were right on the issue of the resurrection, they were wrong about other things. And whereas the Sadducees were wrong about the resurrection, they might have been right about other stuff. I don't know. It's just, it just Jesus has something to say to all of them, right? Yeah. So I think that's something to consider for sure. Um, neither of them had it exactly right, unless they were within Jesus's circle. Um, and even then, <laughs> and even then. All right. So um, yeah. So I think I think that first the the the, the chapter three ten through twenty is really like the Torah, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, right? The instruction the broad scope of what has been written, right? How about chapter 3, verse 27? Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of work? No, by the law of faith. 
Okay. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And that could be 28. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so what way, what, what use of the word law is Paul going for here? This one I said before. Okay. This one I put, well, by the Ten Commandments. The Levitical Code. I guess it depends on what law, which which law you're talking about and what he references, because he's talking about different laws there, isn't he? I, I put it as a law of a law of good works. Okay. It seems to be to me. It seems to be referring to like the law in that sense. It's okay. What you're doing to earn righteousness. Yeah, um, I mean, because there he says within the same verse, what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So which law are you talking about? The law. So what does he mean by a law of works? See, I'll put the Torah. I'm going to say that as a Torah. Okay. Yeah, because they tell you to do this and this and this and this and this. Okay, so you're saying that's, I maybe that's, um, I would say that's more like the Mosaic law, like he says, like the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments. Oh, moral law. There was some morality established in there. But then you get to the thing about the law of faith. What do you do with that? What does he mean by that? Because when you think of faith, do you think of law? What does he mean? The first commandment, maybe. I put it down as the first kind. Of the, the general, broad and general sense. Oh yeah, I think you're right on that one. Or three twenty-seven. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's the principle of faith. It's like gravity. Huh? Yeah, right. Yeah, the law is faith in order to do it. You can't understand it. Therefore, right. So, you, so you have. I, I think, I think you're on, on, on the law of faith. I think that's really what it is, because faith doesn't do anything. Faith is simply just trusting that something else is being done. Right? Um, yeah. It holds on to something else that's doing something, right? Um, and in the sense that it's just receives. Faith receives things. So I'd say it's it's like the authority, the rule, the principle of faith, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess that's what I was trying to get at, was that he's kind of contrasting those two things against each other because he uses law in the way that we would normally think the law of works. No. But the principle of faith, the law of faith, to kind of show that there's a stark contrast between the two, right? Um, so, so I think that that he's getting a little tricky. Paul's a tricky guy. Um, well, of course, it's a little bit tricky because he says, especially the moral law, the moral law summarized in Ten Commandments. Well, if you take the word right moral out of there, the law summarized in Ten Commandments that includes faith. <laughs> right. Yeah, you should have no other gods. Should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, it's so. So so I guess the point of this, and we'll look a little bit further here in the next part, is that it's not so cut and dry when he just talks about law, right? When you see the word law, it doesn't necessarily always mean do this, do that. It is you have to really be careful in what he's talking about because you can go off the rails a little bit there if you don't quite follow along in the sense of so things. So the different people that you talk to or different teachers you hear don't always agree because they're, they don't have the same understanding of law. 
Right. They're not defining their terms. And that's, that's, right. that's the first rule of classical debate. Define your terms. If you don't, you're not going to get anywhere. Right. You're just going to be talking past each other the whole time. So if I say law and you think that I just mean uh, do this, this, and this, but I'm using it in the context of faith, it's, it's going to be like, you're, you're going to say, oh, so I have to do something to believe that, right? It could go in that route. It could go another way. You know? So you're going to wind up not even accomplishing anything if you don't uh, define your terms. Um, so that's, I think that's the whole point of this exercise is to get us to realize there's more to the word than just what we might uh, inherently bring to the table. Um, how about let's look at chapter 8, verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Okay, so what kind of law is he talking about here? Yeah, kind of the law. Okay, so what are the different there's, kinds? There's a, a saving one and a condemning one. Okay. I said that these are the broad and general meanings. Yeah. Yeah, the general sense of... The law of sin, the law of... Yeah. Yeah, the law of sin and death. Yeah, the law of the spirit of life. Were you going to say, James? Were you going to say something? Yeah, I had general sense is what I... Sure. I think that's fair. Like a basic principle, a general sense, a broad sense of what the law is, uh, whether the law of sin and death or the law of the spirit of life. Amen. Um, Shall yeah, it is. Yeah, so uh, yeah, a lot of times Paul does really mean the Mosaic law, but that's when, but like, still, you need to really look really closely. It's like, what is he really trying to get at here with the law of sin and death, the law of the spirit of life, the law of faith, the law of works? It's that's the exercise here. It's not always what you think it is, right? It's not always so cut and dry. Um, our presuppositions can be wrong, so we got to check them. we got to check them with what's there. Okay? Any other questions on that? No? All right, well, let's just keep rolling on. Next question. Why can't the law make you righteous? You can see that in chapter, chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 3, 19 through 20, and verse 23 from those texts. Because it can't be kept. Yeah, what does what 2.13 say? 2.13. For it is uh -huh. not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Right, the doers of the law, right? The... Uh, and that's implied perfectly, right? It's not about hearing, it's about keeping. It's about doing. Um, I put that it's the observance of the law, not the law itself, that makes you righteous. Okay, yeah, so the observance being fulfilling it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, fulfilling the obligation of the law. Yeah, gotcha. Just the law. Okay. Here's the law. 
Yeah. So that's not going to do it. You have to obey the law. Because that's, that's also, I think, I think James read that earlier too. Uh, for it is not the hearers, or maybe a, maybe I missed that one. Or was it? Um, I can't remember who read it, but it was like it was something about where it's like those that it is not the observers of the law, the ones that just kind of look at it and see. It's like, oh, I heard the word, and now I'm good. I can recite it all day right. long. But do I yeah. follow it? Right. Do I fulfill it perfectly? And do I do what it says I should do? Perfectly is the big key. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then you see in chapter 3, 19 through 20, we already read that before, right? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being or no flesh will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then verse 23, who wants that one? It's very short. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right. So, why can't the law make you righteous? Because of the fall, original sin. Yeah. Because uh, the law is perfect and we are not, right? Blame it on Adam and Eve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Blame it on Adam. Yeah. Okay, okay Well, it is his fault. I mean, come on. Give blame where it's due. I mean, come on. That's, that's why Paul says the old man, and it's been interpreted as the old Adam. But that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't mean that we're free of guilt. Right? We inherit that sin, and we then live within that sin by ourselves, apart from God's grace, right? So, uh, the law can't make you righteous because, um, well, are you, are you supposed to obey the law? Yeah. yeah, you're supposed to obey the law, but it can't make you righteous because you won't do what it says. You just won't do it. I mean, seriously, that's really what it comes down to. No, I'm almost 65. Yeah, it's not, not that you... It's... It is that you can't, but it is also that you will not. You just won't do it. Uh, it's both of those things, right? The more um, they put out there, the more people try to break them. I mean, and we're going to look into that, right? <laughs> uh, but the use of nomos, law, that's the law in Greek, uh, in Romans is important to the forensic, the, uh, the like courtroom kind of aspect, uh, and the nature of, God, of, of Paul's... Um, Paul's argument here obedience to the law is a theoretical theoretically a way to become righteous it's only a theory because no one can actually do it right no one can do it perfectly that's why he says no human being no flesh will be justified by the works of the law right um, yeah so um for us, it's only theoretical that the law will actually be something we can accomplish. Okay? Any thoughts on that? Any questions? Pretty straightforward, right? Something that I think is a pretty basic understanding for us Lutherans. Uh, because we don't necessarily... We don't struggle with the understanding of original sin. And it's a pretty basic concept for us as Lutherans. Other Christians, it might not be. Um... 
so that so if if we had somebody from a different tradition, we might be getting into a deeper discussion about that. But um, right right now, I think it's pretty standard for us as Lutherans that that's a pretty set thing. Um, so next page, right? Contrary to pop popular opinion, the primary purpose of the law notice the capital L right divine law is not to promote moral behavior. In fact, our sinful nature actually rebels against the law as a moral guide. Because Paul writes in chapter 7, verse 8, Sin, finding opportunity in the command, wrought in me all kinds of covetousness. So recall an example when a command or rule only provoked rebellion. Uh, how does this reaction illustrate the weakness of the law? And how does it illustrate the weakness of human beings? So let's start with that first one. Can y'all come up with an example when a command or a rule only provoked rebellion? Prohibition. COVID mandates. <laughs> Boston Tea what Party. Tea tax. That's COVID what I was thinking. Uh, COVID mandates. Boston Tea Boston Party. Boston Tea Party thing. Uh, um, what did you say, Jim? Prohibition. Prohibition. <laughs> Sorry, I got thrown off by the COVID stuff. Um, yeah, prohibition. Uh, I would even say... July 4th, 1776, uh, the Stamp Act and all that stuff. How about wearing a seatbelt? Okay, very interesting. Uh, and like, I, I, I can even go back to the Texas Rebellion, right? They felt like they were being unjustly pro uh, persecuted by the Mexican government, so they rebelled. Uh, anyways, uh, anybody else have something? The Sean, the Tea Party thing. Yeah, the Tea Party came to my mind. Yeah. Um, Nothing but rebellion really spurred from that. Yeah, right. And it was one of those things, I heard it put in the way that Great, Great Britain was a bad parent because they gave their kid all kinds of freedom. And then all of a sudden they start trying to crack down on what they're doing. And of course they're going to rebel. Right? Yeah. The, they took away their freedom, or they tried to, and then and then the the child declared emancipation. <laughs> yeah, declared independence. So okay, all right. So um, how does this reaction to rebel? How does that reaction illustrate the weakness of the law? Uh, man's law can be manipulated. Okay. To not observe God's law for their own and I was doing it with my sister and she said their own greed and selfishness will override their moral compass interesting yeah their own greed and selfishness their own pride their own idols or idolatry is the first commandment right um, yeah it will override because uh, well it's, it's, it's one of those things um, when it comes to the law and there is a capital L there, so let's talk about the divine law. Is there a weakness in the divine law? What can't the law do? It can't save you. Make you can't follow it. Right. The law cannot make you follow it. And also, it can't, yeah, and so thus it cannot save you. You are not saved by the law. Yeah. I went to a totally different direction than that. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. Uh, primary purpose of the law is not to promote moral behavior 
in fact, it brings, and I went back to the, the, the law, law uh -huh. Sinai. Okay. The Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. No other gods before me. Mm -hmm. That's what they were taught and they learned. But what did they do? It caught, that caused them to rebel. We wanted to make our own god, and so they did. They melted down their gold and silver and made their own god. Well, that happened before they received the commandments, right? It was, oh, I guess it did. Yeah, I think it did. When Moses came down, he broke them all. I think you're right. I think that that happened before, but still. Before we got the the commandment of you know thou shalt have no other gods. Well, before that, you still had the Passover. Yeah, you you still had, had all these God. things that God was showing His glory. Yeah. He was showing all these things of who He was, and yet they still rebelled. So I mean, there's something there. Yeah. I think in the big picture, Mr. Deeper is right because mm -hmm. we create we have new gods all the time. Absolutely, as human beings. Yeah. I mean, the new God is climate change. The new God. Well, is, yeah. yeah. You don't have to start at the golden calf. Yeah. Well, I went yeah. on to the next verse where it says, I didn't know what coveting was until the old law told me don't covet. Mm -hmm. so yeah, because then you because then you wanted to, right? What yeah. is this stuff? I want to try it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Kind of like drugs. <laughs> I was say, it's kind of like the D.A.R.E. program when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah, and right. If yeah. you didn't have uh, the D.A.R.E. program there, Teach you all about. You know about the Dare program? Never have known about this stuff. Yeah. For who doesn't? Many years. Who doesn't know about the Dare program? By the way, do you know what he's talking about? That. Yeah, yeah I know. What you're talking about. Youth drug education. Program. It was. It was basically a cop would come in uh, to your classroom with a, a a display board and and the and and they he had displays of all different kinds of drugs, cocaine, marijuana, methamphetamines, whatever. And it was all like in these little plastic capsules on a board that you couldn't get at, you know, but the cop was telling, the police officer was telling you, this is this, this is this, this is what it does, this is what it does, this is what it does. And the more that, and, and, and the D.A.R.E. program was a absolute failure because it did not do anything to diminish kids using drugs. In fact, as a result, as a correlation. There are people to use drugs. It just intrigued you. Correlation is not causation, as they say in statistics, but there was a correlation to higher drug usage after the D.A.R.E. program was done, right? So uh, it, um, let's not blame the D.A.R.E. program, but let's not say that it actually helped anything. I wonder so. if a similar thing could be said of sex education schools. I think I so. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I think just absolutely. Especially now you start doing in middle school now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely that is that is definitely part of it because, yeah, younger even. I mean, I've heard of younger, so I've heard of elementary school in some places. So. Oh no, elementary. Yeah. And they touched on STDs, and that was about that was a bit right. Sexual identity. Now that that's being taught in kindergarten. Yeah. 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 So I think, yeah, so whatever it is, whether it's sex education, whether it's teaching kids about drugs, saying like, <laughs> these are all the drugs you don't want to do. It's like, well, yeah, I kind of want to do them now. You know, it's like, it, it, it's, it's, which, which <laughs> I want to try. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, so that's what it looks like. So I know if the guy's cheating me. Oh, great. Good. I'm, I'm, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's what 
Luther is trying to avoid when he went into explaining the sixth commandment? Didn't he just like leave it at this is chastity? And he didn't go into how we break it because he didn't want to give people ideas. Which is one of the reasons why I wish we kept the old explanation of the sixth commandment, that we would live a, a, a pure, chaste, and decent life, but now it's sexually pure and decent life. Uh, because when you're talking to kids about that, they can recite chast, you know, chaste, and then later on they can ask, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And you can kind of explain it at your own pace as they're able to, but now it's like, because of the 80s, I guess, that's when they revised it, it was like sexually pure, and now the kids can actually say, like, what does sexually pure mean? It's like, well, son, oh, man. <laughs> but that's, maybe that's good. It provokes the parents to actually do what they're supposed to do and teach their kids. But it's, um, so it's, okay, it's like you got alcohol. You can't drink alcohol until you're 21, all right? Mm-hmm. No, 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 you can't have it. Makes you want it all the more. When, when they yeah. were younger, you know, you want to see what it tastes like? Here, have a sip. And they go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's nasty. You know? Yeah. And That's all you It's like, <laughs> you, you know, you don't want this until you're older when you understand what it's about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All not the other you. pressures. Yeah. Right. So then you wait for certain things when you're adult because you can yeah. understand them better. And we would tell them that. We'd say... You don't need to go see that movie. They have to call and say, so and so, we want to go see this movie. And it was some just, you know. And I'm like, no, tell them your mother said, no, you cannot go see that. Blame it on me. Well, why can't we go see it? Because you're not mature enough to handle the content in that movie. Right. So now, when you get older, so. right? When you that get older, you will understand. But right now, your brain doesn't comprehend that. And stuff. even later, you probably shouldn't watch it, I'll be yeah, honest with you. But I'm. Uh, but, you could say, that's what I told them. Tell them I said, no, you can't do that. Right. Because you're not ready to handle it. Your yeah, as a parent, you're supposed to be the bad guy. Yeah. Um, for the good of your child, to, mm-hmm. to, to protect them. And I just can't even teach imagine, them. I can't imagine what some of the things that we're exposing our young kids to these days. Oh, yeah. They have, they have access to everything. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. It's, yeah. I'll tell you what. I, I, think it's, I think it's great that Charlotte, right now instinctively knows when she finds either my phone or Amelia's phone, she brings them directly to us. She goes, she just, she she knows it's a phone, but if it's Dada's phone, she'll just go, here, here. And she'll bring it to me. It's like, thank you, honey. Or if if she starts kind of looking at it, like, no, I'm going to take that away real quick. (laughs) Take that away. Because it's really weird. One time she was on it. And she found out how to get the password up, and she started touching that. And she and I was, I was like, "What are you doing? Give me that!" You know, it's like kids are quick, and oh, and yeah. they learn really fast. And 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 it's not that we don't want her to know about certain things, or Henry, or any of our kids that we might have. It's not that we don't want them to be uh, understanding of the evils of the world. But you I mean you got you got to be careful with this stuff, uh, because it because, well. If you give kids or anybody a right understanding of the law, that it's not just going to make everything okay to make more rules and laws, you need to also understand that's, you know, that, and and I'm saying this as someone only in a theoretical sense as a parent so far, because Charlotte's not that old, but you have to have the law and the gospel, and you have have a proper distinction and understanding of both of them, in the sense that 
Um, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because it's good for you. You won't understand this right now, but you will someday. Or something along those lines. You need to take the time and the, and the opportunities as opposed to just backing off or being all in and hovering over your kids all the time or something like that. That was a big Y kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell with the Pharisee and the Sadducee question. Yeah, it's good. All the time. <laughs> why, 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 why? Yeah. And they would tell me, you won't know until you're older. Right. And I, like, couldn't stand that. Yeah, I know, right? I was like, no, I want to know. I but you honored your father and your mother, right? <laughs> I was a why, 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 too, and it's always the same answer. Dodd Rome. Said what? Dodd Rome. Because. Just, oh. just because. <laughs> because. because. Nice. Because, nice. Because I said you can't go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's get back to this. Uh, we made a law. Let's get back to it. Yeah. We don't find Yeah. How does? That'll take years to cross. I know, right? Yeah. No, no. But seriously, like it's it's funny you say that because it's like I I I on a theoretical sense, I knew that I wouldn't fully understand what it was like to really be a parent until I became one. And I, I'm learning. It's like, oh, Charlotte wants to kick me. Uh, I use this example. Charlotte wants to kick me while I'm changing her diaper. And I've had to say, if you kick me, I'm going to swat you. And she just like grits her teeth and kicks some more. Mm -hmm. That's a law. And she knows what I'm saying. Don't, 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 don't think she doesn't. And she, and she kicks. And so then I just go, smack on the thigh. Now, though, she starts to kind of try to do it. And I just let her go, do that. And you can see her give, this, give me this look of, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's testing her boundaries, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so it's like, but I didn't understand it until I was a dad that, or put in that position or whatever, where it's like, you got to make sure that if you lay down, lay down a law, it better be for a good reason. And then you better enforce it. Right. And, but also to kind of say, you know, at some point, just remind them, you don't have to reinforce it with smacking her all the time. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, remember what I told you? Because I, it's amazing. After so many times, I go, what did Dada say about kicking? And she goes, no. Nah. <laughs> like, you know exactly what I'm saying, and you're not even two. So don't I, don't, I don't buy this stuff, you know? So anyway, so how does uh, the reaction of rebellion to the law show the weakness of human beings? So we talked about the weakness of the law. But what is, how does it show the weakness of human beings, of people, the rebellious nature? We don't always know what's good for us. Right. Yeah. We don't always know. Um, we are so reactionary um, that... Um, it requires uh, discipline uh, to be able to hear something that's unpleasant, to hear a criticism or, or um, a harsh word that's undeserved. It takes discipline to not react negatively or harshly or whatever. It takes discipline to take the hit and then respond pleasantly or to shake your head or, or whatever or, or, or respond in a way that's measured. 
whereas your knee jerk is that you want to just lash out. You know, you want to you want to um, scream in that person's face or whatever. I mean, that's our sinful passions at the most basis level. Um, that's that's why in the ancient world, I think I think we should come back to a more classical understanding of of us as human beings that uh, a lot of the church fathers um, from the early church talked a lot about the passions um, and like vices and virtues, right? And we at a most basic level are just full of passions. Now what I mean by passion is not like follow your dream. What I mean by passion is like hunger, thirst, lust, right? Greed, um, where it's like a, a, a passion is, passion is what you feel when you haven't eaten in days and then you see a piece of bread that doesn't belong to you and you want it badly and you will do anything you can to get that piece of bread or thirst, right? Yeah, or thirst where it's like, you know, if somebody's standing in your, if you are dying, like if you literally are dying of thirst and you will do anything to get to water and somebody's standing between you and a pool of water that you can easily drink, but they're saying you can't, you can't have it. What are you going to do to that person to get them out of the way so you can get to the water to drink it? That's what passion is. That's what passion is in the classical sense. And how do we tame the passions of saying, you know, and, and it's the, the other thing of pride, right? Someone, someone tells you you did the wrong thing. You didn't do this right. Your pride wants to lash out at that person and defend yourself as opposed to, and but it takes... It takes discipline to harness those, to, to rein in the passions and say, I'm not going to react this way. I'm not going to fight that guy for the water. I'm not going to steal that piece of bread, right? Uh, so that's us in a nutshell as human beings on our most basic level. We're reactionary and we're weak. And so if that's the case, we can't receive the law the way we're supposed to, right? The law is perfect and we are not. We're so far from it. It's not even funny, right? Any questions on that? It's just hopeless for us. <laughs> well, we're gonna get to why it's not. Okay, we can't 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 just leave it there at, at the condemnation because that's not where we stay as Christians, right? And I would say one of the weaknesses of human beings when it comes to that too is uh, everybody likes the law when it's being applied to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. then once the law comes for you, it's like, and then you try to justify your way out of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're always seeking self-justification. We love laws for other people, right? We always want to enforce the law on somebody else, but not a lot, not a lot often on ourselves, right? No. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So that shows how we are weak and how the law in some sense is weak because it cannot, the law can't, encourage or enable us to do enough, right? We're always going to push against it. We're always going to rebel. Like he said, I wouldn't know what coveting was until the law told me, and then I, I wanted to covet even more, you know? It's one of those things. Uh, all right, so Paul states repeatedly that the primary purpose of the law is to bring the knowledge of sin to light. Through the law comes knowledge of sin, as we see in chapter 3, verse 20. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is neither transgression. Chapter 4, verse 15. 
And chapter 5, verse 20 says, The law entered in order that the transgression increase. So the law actually condemns and crushes every illusion that we can attain righteousness before God through obedience to the law. Okay? So let's look up Romans 3, 31. What is that saying? It should already kind of be there, right? 331, what does that say? Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Right. What about chapter 7, verse 7? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Right. The DARE program. <laughs> What's that? The DARE program. The DARE program, yeah, sex ed, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, verse, chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. Let's read those. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it preceded death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. Yeah. So what is Paul's attitude toward the law according to these passages? What is, what is the law? What's his attitude towards it? It's good, righteous, and holy. It's good. It's holy. It is just, right? It is righteous. Uh, what else about it? What else is the law? It shows us what we're doing wrong. Shows us our sin, where we fall short. It's a mirror. Yeah, it's a mirror. Um, it calls sin out for being sin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It makes sin even more magnified, right? Because you know. You know that stealing's wrong, but when you're told that it's wrong, you have no doubt, right? You you have no excuse, absolutely none, right? Uh, it it just condemns you all the more, it, it it accuses you all the more, I should say, right? It accuses you all the more. What else does Paul? What is what is the law in relation to our faith? Well, just because we have faith, that doesn't mean like, oh, we've we've confessed or we've been confirmed or we've been baptized and <laughs> yeah. now we're good yeah. and we can just go sin all week because on Sunday I'm going to be forgiven again anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah, that is not what Luther meant by sin boldly, right? That's one of those things that's got people come up to me and whatever. Sometimes, sometimes, it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes they'll find out I'm a Lutheran pastor and be like, you know what my favorite quote from Luther was? It's like, what? Like, <laughs> sin boldly. I'm just like, all right, maybe you should come to Bible study sometimes. We can talk about other things he said, you know. But that, what Luther was saying in that context was he was talking to Melanchthon, who who um, who, who wrote uh, parts of our, our Book of Concord, um, who was so despairing in his own sin and that he was being so crushed by the law that he was just debilitated and Luther said, no matter what you do in this life, it's going to be tainted by sin. You cannot do anything perfectly, 
But still, as what uh, Paul says there in 331, um, on the contrary, we uphold the law, but by the law of faith, right? We uphold the standard by God's grace. We have this as a guide. The law is a guide, but it all, but as we say, the law always accuses. It's always accusing us of what we're not doing right so that we would continually not rely on ourselves, but rely on the grace of God, right? So even though we go and we try and serve our neighbor, I, I, I use this example, I think it works pretty well, where if you're trying to abide by the fifth commandment, which is, you shall not murder, right? Not only is a commandment uh, prohibitory, but also there's a positive sense as well, where it's not just about not murdering, but it is also about protecting people in their body. If someone is drowning, you do what you can to save them, right? So let's just say you're walking down the street and you hear somebody shouting, help, help, and it's in their backyard or something, it's in a pool, there's somebody drowning in a pool. And you run because you know the right thing to do is to save them. Whatever you got to do, get a flotation device, jump in there, whatever. But let's say you do that because instinctively as a Christian, you're trying to abide by the law according to grace and saying, this is a good thing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go try and save this person. But what happens when that person is already drowned and dead by the time you get there? You failed. You still failed. You did not uphold it perfectly. Now, that's not meant to condemn you and keep you in a state of guilt and despair, but it is to draw you back to the grace of Christ, right? So even though we have the third use of the law as a guide, it still means that we can be accused by our imperfections. We can still be accused so that we rely on the grace of God all the more, right? To say, you know what? Yeah, I... My money is going to this charitable organization, and 95% of what they get in goes out to exactly where they say it's going to go. I could feel guilt over that, because it's not 100%. You know what I'm saying? Some people might, like, well, it's not 100%, so why would I give in the first place? No, you just go ahead and do it, because you trust that it's going to be used for the glory of God according to His grace. Of course it's not perfect. But that shouldn't stop you, right? Well, I think um, it's interesting, or is yeah, uh, illustrated that that Paul uses covet. Yeah. As, as a sin. Okay. I mean, that's it doesn't go right for like murder. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the start of every sin, almost yeah. covet, right? Covet. Yeah. So that's yeah. Coveting is not a sin against the state. You're not going to go to jail for coveting. You're not yeah, going to go to jail right. for coveting. That's right. But yeah, you can't. Right. The it's state not only don't yeah. commit the things you're going to be in trouble it leads for. to the ones but, that are right. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the lowest of the, or my, that's the first. So, of, yeah. Of, of sin, yeah. Well, at so least until they. That shows you can't keep, keep it all. At least until Google comes out with an artificial intelligence that can read your mind or something like that, right? Well, We're free from mind crimes and thought crimes for now. They um, about that, too. What's that? Minority Report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, know that's actually a pretty interesting movie, but um, an interesting concept. Yeah, but I guess you could say that. Um, yeah, um, that's that's a whole. Yeah, that's a whole <laughs> metaphysical issue. The other way. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole metaphysical metaphysical can of worms of 
would it really is it really a crime if it hasn't happened yet sort of thing right so anyways um so paul's attitude towards the law is that it's perfect it is just it is good um that it should help us but instead it shows us our sin um and those who preach god's word uphold the law right we don't just scuttle it off because it's going to make people feel bad right um, we don't abuse the law by keeping people down under our thumb because it's just like, you're always going to be a sinner. You know, that's not the point. The point is to say, no, you're not perfect. Yeah, you tried to do some good things, but even that falls short. That's why you need to rely on the grace of God all more, right? You have to bring that in. But you can't fully grasp, I, I would say, it's really hard to really appreciate the fullness of God's grace if you're not paying attention to the law. There are people out there, and, and we had a, an example this morning of, I won't say what church, but um, there was an example of, of a pastor who was talking about the law, lying, cheating, stealing, or whatever, and people said, well, we don't need to hear about that. Like, what do you mean you don't need to hear about that? It's like, well, we don't sin like that. We don't lie. We don't cheat. And he goes, you just lied right now because everybody lies. Everybody falls short. Everybody cheats in some way by, by not just doing it, but by holding back, right, when you should give or something. So it's just one of those things. And those people never came back because they didn't like hearing that. And that's a real shame. It's a real shame. I'm not saying, yeah, get out of here. But what I am saying is that I would hope that they would someday come back and say, you know what, I was actually wrong. I do need to hear about how I'm a sinner because that makes me appreciate God's grace all the more, right? You can't have one without the other because if you only emphasize the gospel, if you, if you only say Jesus died for you, you kind of get to that point of saying, well, I'm forgiven, now I can just go do what I want. And the other side is the opposite as well. If you only talk about what you do and what you do and what you do, then you're under a whole different kind of oppression, thinking that you can fulfill God's will perfectly on some level, and you feel guilted because you don't, right? So you have to have that proper balance, the proper distinction between law and gospel, right? It's almost like uh, the curb and the mirror mm -hmm. are the law. <coughs> Guide could be gospel. God showing you a way to you could go uh, just a little bit. Now I, I got off the track because I'm thinking my my brother-in-law, who a few, number of years ago got very upset because his pastor would teach about the curb and the mirror, but he refused to do the third use of the law. Oh, yeah, that's not good. And uh, <coughs> Rick would go and talk to him. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't listen. So, hmm. so later, they they found a different church. Hmm. Wow! And Missouri Synod Church, but yeah. they, this particular pastor couldn't couldn't use or didn't want to or refused to use the third use. So there's a real place for it, and that's where you can guide and bring out more. Uh, Jesus can help you guide and do with it. Use this. Uh, all these commandments that will help you trust, trust Jesus to help you keep uh, them and all yeah. that. And not just, full, uh, evidently, 
and I was never there and never heard it. But right. if he was only focusing on, on looking in a mirror and seeing how bad you are, uh, or wanting to go yeah. someplace and bumping into the right. law, you can't because you can't do it. Yeah, that you need that guide too to lead you the way you do yeah. the law in that manner. But you do because because the thing is is that if you only focus on the first two. And you just say, Jesus died and he forgives you your sins. Have a nice day. You go, okay, now what? Right? Now what? But I, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. I won't say that the guide is gospel. No. <clears throat> because it's still what you do. Yeah? The law says do this, and the gospel says that it is done in Christ. I guess what I was thinking was hey, I got the okay. curb and the mirror keep you back, but the guide can help. Yeah, the guide is how we live. I mean, it's like um, Christians show our love not just by saying I love you, but by actually doing works of love, right? Mm -hmm. We give to the poor, we, we, we feed the hungry, we clothe people, we, we do what's necessary. We pray for people, right? We show our love in that way as well. And that is part of the guide. So it, it's probably, but this is going to require, I think, a little bit of deprogramming because there are a lot of people in the Lutheran Church that really only like to talk about the curb and the mirror because it because they make sense, right? But when you get to the guide, now it's something that I, on some level, I'll say this: it's something I got to do now, not for my salvation, but it's what I do in joy because of God's grace. Um, and I'm okay with it not being perfect. And that's what Luther means by sin boldly, right? It's not that you go and do whatever you want, but it's that no matter what you do, it's not going to be perfect, but God's grace will cover it because you're serving your neighbor, right? You're loving your neighbor as God commanded you, trusting that he will forgive the imperfections um, and cover it with his grace, right? <clears throat> Yeah. But, but I think as Christians, too, we ask God to help us not do, yeah. not break the law. That's part we of the guide. We we're going to, but yeah. we, we try not to do it. Right. Not like, oh, I'm going to be forgiven, so it doesn't matter if I you know, break that law or not. Right. Because I'm going to be forgiven for it. Right. No. We still try not to do it. Yeah. Yeah, you do all that you can to not be idolatrous and not to... Um, Covet. Covet. <laughs> not to, you know, commit adultery and thought, word, or deed, right? That you try not, you do all you can. <clears throat> I mean, there is, there should be something to be said for sanctification. Mm -hmm. But we got to get it right in the right order. You can't have sanctification that is being made holy without being made justified for the sake of Christ. Justification always comes first and foremost before you talk about sanctification and how we now live as Christians. Okay. Paul gets into a lot of this yes. chapter and six and seven. And we'll get to that. Yeah, nine. we'll get to that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And memorize a lot of that. That's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh, but yeah, we need to wind up eventually saying, of course, after this big talk of the law, we actually also have to, we must as Christians, say that because Christ has fulfilled the law for us and has freed us from, from the condemnation of the law, 
we can again delight in the law, right? We don't see it as oppressive. We see it as a joy. Like I like to say, it's not I have to, but I get to do these things now. So now that last question, according to Paul, what is the most important use of the law? I put to show us our sin, okay. so that we can ask forgiveness in order to be saved. Overachiever, I like it. All right. And I'll say the same thing. It's like it's kind of there to point you to repentance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's pointing to repentance and it's pointing to Christ. Yeah, it's pointing. But it first and foremost points to your sin. Yeah. Right. So we can say yes, we have sinned. And That's God will forgive me. He died for my sins so that I can right. go to heaven. And not, not to throw too much out there, but something to think about. That's why when we as Lutherans talk about repentance, there's, there's two parts. There's contrition for sin, there's sorrow for your sin, and then there's faith in the promise of forgiveness. That is the only thing that gets you to turn away from your sin, right? Um, as the way you should, okay? So contrition and faith are two parts of repentance, uh, but it's because of your sin, right? You see your sin... The, the, um, and even the guide, it accuses us. Like I said, you go to save somebody who's drowning, they die, you failed. But that's why you rely on, you, you rely on the grace of Christ all the more. That's why Paul says um, um, that Christ told him uh, that my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more of my infirmities and my shortcomings and my failings because when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's not me, it's Christ who is strong. And that takes faith to see, right? I, the world doesn't understand that. Uh, I think there's a lot of people, you know, they come to church and they think, well, all they're doing is telling me I'm a sinner. And they miss the part about faith and being forgiven. They can't accept that. <laughs> Faith in what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they can't. They, they're like, yeah. they can't accept that faith part that he is going to forgive my sins. All I can hear is, I'm doing bad, I'm doing wrong, I'm right. a sinner. You know? And yeah. they, they miss the part about the forgiveness. Yeah. Well, but I, I wonder how, off, how true that is nowadays. Because it seems like it's the exact opposite most of the time. That... People don't talk about how sinful people really are sometimes. See, I've, I've got people like, well, I don't want to go to church because everybody at church thinks they're perfect. Oh, okay, well, that's a, kind of a different thing then. Um, and I'm like, no, we go to church because we know we're sinners. That's why you should, yeah. <laughs> and we're there because we're yeah. asking forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. Well, people have all kinds of different reasons why they don't want to go to church, and none of them are good. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. None of them are good as far as why they don't why they shouldn't go to church. I mean, there's no... I mean, they're basically trying to justify breaking the third, third commandment, commandment, right? Fourth. Right? What? Or the first commandment. Or the first. Yeah. Right, exactly. It always goes back to that first one, right? Um, okay. Right, was it the third? Now I gotta look. Yeah. Give me... I think it's the third. Uh, that you, the Sabbath day. That's right. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping holy. It's the third commandment. The second commandment is um, the name. That's right. The name of the Lord. You should not misuse the name of the Lord. 
right? I had to I had to go through the Rolodex in my brain. Uh, <laughs> all right. So with that, the the according to Paul, the most important use. Not that these are not important, but the most important is to show us our sin, right? It's always accusing us. We'll make that distinction, though. It doesn't only accuse, but it always accuses, right? That's why we have that term in Latin, lex semper accuset. The law always accuses, but that's not the only thing it does. All right, think about that one for a little bit. So as you study these passages about God's law, Remember that Jesus fulfilled God's law for you. Jesus took the suffering you deserve so that you might receive righteousness, peace, and joy in him. That's the real point that Paul drives toward in this first part of Romans, your salvation to Christ. Okay? Words to remember, uh, Romans 3.20b, through the law we become conscious of sin. Uh, for next time... Uh, to prepare for the, the study on righteousness revealed in Christ, read Romans 3, 21 through 31. And uh, anybody have any closing thoughts or comments before we pray? I always want to throw that in there just in case somebody's got something to say. Cool. In that case, let us close the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.